Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast that this week is 50% powered by cold and flu tablets. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, Taylor Swift finally gets political, why this year's season of The Bachelorette is the lowest rating in history, and the Aussie socialites that are dripping in money. But first, Zara, how was your week? My week was pretty good this week. I know last week I said that I was going to invest more in reading and being mindful. Yes. Tell me, how did you go? Terrible. (laughs) I realized this morning that I went out for dinner every single night this week, which is well outside my means. I didn't have much downtime and I guess it's a deliberate choice. I can't, I can't blame anyone else apart from myself. You're just so popular that everyone wants to. No, not at all. I'm the one chasing other people always bored being like, let's do something because I think I say to myself, oh, I want to be really chill. I just want to be quiet and have a quiet weekend or a quiet night and I'll get home and I'll be like, oh, I've got to get out. Um, so I felt like this week I went far more to podcasts than books. I think okay. when I'm a little more tired, I don't know if you're the same and I just can't physically imagine myself sitting in front of a book. Like we said, we're spending all day reading. I go to podcasts. So I think the one thing I would recommend this week would be I listened to an episode of Long Form. Have you listened to Long Form before? I have never. That's really interesting because I think you would really like it. Long Form is a little niche, but I know we have a lot of um, media people who listen to this podcast and it is basically uh, a lot of journalists and writers being interviewed about their careers and how they approach writing. And it sounds boring, but I promise you it's not. And the episode that I really liked this week was an interview with Rebecca Traister, who we've spoken a little bit about on this podcast. Yeah, the Hilo spoke about her on their most recent episode. Yeah, so they spoke about a podcast episode that she was on Call Your Girlfriend, which I haven't listened to yet, but I listened to I did listen to long form. And she has just released a book called Good and Mad, which is about sort of a history of female anger. And it is so interesting that the book has dropped at a pretty perfect time in the last two years, given I don't think there's a time that women have been more angry since Trump was elected. Yeah, and particularly given Kavanaugh's I think that's why. And I, I think it was a little bit of a coincidence that it dropped now. I mean, of course it was because books don't take two minutes to punch out. But it was a really, really interesting listen. So I would recommend that considering I did not read that much this week. Amazing. What okay. about you? How was your week? I have been walloped with a head cold. I don't mind that description, walloped. Well, there you go. I am a writer. <laughs> Uh, I've been sick in bed. It was one of those things where I was uncontrollably sneezing one day and I've been around a few people. Mitch has been sick. A few of the people that I've been working with have been sick. Yesterday, I could not get out of bed. I couldn't even open my eyes really to look at anything. So apart from that, it's been a good week. I have started reading Lee Sale's new book, which is called Mm. Any Ordinary Day. It is, for anyone who doesn't know about it, it's a non-fiction book looking at what happens to people after the very worst days of their lives. So it's speaking to people like Walter Mickack, Stuart Diver, victims of the Lint Cafe siege, who have been put in these unimaginable situations where from the outside, you look at them and go, I could not live through that, or that would 
completely blackened my entire existence. And it's quite an uplifting novel. Out of all that darkness, Lee Sales pulls out a lot of light from these people's lives and looks in the looks at the years and the decades that have passed since and how much they have been able to either recover or find purpose in the years that have gone on. It's a really uplifting and fascinating read. I keep hearing so much about this book. I have been wanting to read it because it sounds like quite a dark book, but all I keep hearing is that it is a really nuanced look at grief and that if you can read a story about people who have been through such unimaginable tragedy and they get through the other side, then you can basically get through whatever comes at you. Exactly. And it's also really fascinating to look at a journalist who, by the position that she's in, Lee Sales is the host of ABC 7.30, in her normal position, can't editorialise what she's saying. She can't give personal insights Mm. into what she's saying. She has to be very rigid and news focused. And in this book, she does give a lot of her mental process and what's going on in her mind as she interviews these people and her biases and her... Uh, feelings her feelings exactly and it's really fascinating apart from that i'd also like to let everyone know that i have decreased my average screen time per day by 20 minutes i'm now at per day per day that's pretty good yeah i know it was a conscious effort this week now something i did look at i did really decrease my instagram time on throughout the week however something that i was looking at was taylor swift's first ever political post so she's been in the public eye for what 10 to 12 years yeah at least and she's really made an effort to not be political i think the court case last year where she won one dollar for suing that man who groped her ass was the first thing that she's ever done that has been overtly political i feel but during the week, for anyone who missed it, she actually put out a caption and explicitly stated that she would be voting for a Democrat in her state, which is Tennessee. The caption was really fascinating and really well worded. I'll read a little bit from it just so, just for anyone who missed it. In the past, I've been reluctant to publicly voice my political opinions, but due to several events in my life and in the world in the last two years, I feel very differently about that now. I always have and always will cast my vote based on the candidate which will protect and fight for human rights I believe we all deserve in this country. I believe in the fight for LGBTQ rights and that any form of discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender is wrong. I believe that the systemic racism we see in this country towards people of colour is terrifying, sickening, and prevalent. She went on to say that the woman running for Senate was a homophobe, basically, and a misogynist. Mm. And so she would love to support women in politics but on this occasion she will be voting for the democratic candidate who is a man correct and i found this really interesting because i was thinking back to the u.s election and after trump was elected and i was very i think annoyed is the right word at the time because she didn't say anything and I was wondering for so long why when everybody else was coming out and giving their opinions and sort of joining the fight that she stepped back in and very much removed herself from that situation. And I have done a full 180 on that in the last two years because I think I was actually annoyed that she didn't come out as a Democrat, not that she didn't come out at all. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty narrow-minded and a very echo chamber-like way to look at it because I only want her to come out in the same way that I think. I don't want her to come out if she was going to come out as a Republican. And so that And that's not me wanting people to have opinions. That's me wanting her to have the same view as me. Yeah, to be an ally. And I think that's the same as everybody else. Everybody kept saying, where is Taylor Swift? Just assuming that Taylor Swift would join our side. I would prefer her to have not come out at all if she was going to vote for Trump than for her to come out. So I don't know which way she voted. I don't really think it matters. But it is so important that she's come out now because of how much influence she has. And it's proven how many people have signed up to vote. Yeah, so more than 65,000 people registered to vote in the 24 hours after her post on Instagram. It is astounding how much influence people like that have. And I also felt like a massive hypocrite because I think I am the first person to be quite critical of those who have very large and very impressionable followings who come out and talk about things they're not experts in. And for her, I mean, she's only, what, 27 or 28. How can we possibly expect her to also be an expert in politics or an expert in the future of the country? And how can we expect her to be the one um, to tell young people where to go? Yeah, and that's what I really actually love about this. I'm similar to you. I felt quite disdained in the past when Taylor Swift was silent on political issues. However, 
the alternative is someone like Kanye West. Yeah, exactly. Who comes out and preaches his support for Donald Trump. However, when Kanye is pressed on anything to do with legislation or policy, he has no idea. He openly says, I have no idea about policies between the two major political parties in the US. And so for him to come out and say he has dragon energy and that Donald Trump is a bro or however, I don't know how he, he describes it. feelings and talks about souls or and energy and I vibes. No, I have no idea what he's talking about. Exactly. So the damage that celebrities can do exactly. when they talk about something that they're not well versed in or yeah. they're not across is significant. And I would much, much rather someone like Taylor Swift take 10 years to actually do her research and live her life and through all of her experiences, as she said, form an opinion that is well formed thought out and has depth and, and has is, meaning and is helpful yeah at the exactly end of the day. i do worry about the expectation now that every pop star needs to be publicly political for exactly the reason that you said because what kind of can of worms does that open up i mean what kind of how can we possibly expect people who are experts in music or acting to be that well versed in politics for them to be able to form helpful opinions. And I think that's what it comes down to, not having the right opinion, but a helpful one. I agree with that. And on the flip side, I don't really appreciate people coming out and saying, why do celebrities have all these opinions? Because at the end of the day, a celebrity is in the most powerful position Mm. in the world. So it's kind of contradictory for people to come out and say, oh, what what does Taylor Swift know about politics? What does Donald Trump know about politics? (laughs) Honestly. This is a uh, textbook case of how pop culture and politics collide because we have a reality star in the White House. Who had no prior experience whatsoever. I did really enjoy a piece in the Washington Post about this. It was written this time last year to do with, I believe it was Jimmy Kimmel talking about politics a lot on his late night show and he got a lot of backlash because of that, because a lot of people came out and said, what do you know about politics? Shut up. Stop trying to be this political advocate. So Washington Post Eugene Scott wrote, while shut up and sing has been a fashionable demand of those on the right who argue that policymaking should be left to those with policy and experience and knowledge, it is getting harder to make that case when their party elected a former reality television star with no government experience who has padded his administration with people lacking expertise in the subjects they are overseeing. I mean, Ivanka and Jared are the first examples that come to mind exactly. of people that aren't qualified. I thought it was very interesting um, how Republicans uh, responded to this in that I saw a couple of tweets and a couple of quotes floating around that what does it matter that Taylor Swift has come out and done this because her fan base is a bunch of 13-year-olds. And I thought a couple of things. First and foremost, those bunch of 13-year-olds were 13 when Taylor Swift won her first Emmy. That was eight years ago. These are women voting with very strong opinions now. Secondly, I thought how much we misunderstand and discredit young people for their interests um, and especially young girls. That reminds me of that um, Harry Styles quote that I come back to occasionally from Rolling Stone about, you know, young girls were the ones invested in the Beatles. Why do we not take their interests seriously if there's such a pack of of young people interested in the same thing? Um, So I thought it was very interesting how that was sort of pushed aside by the people in power as, as a group of people who don't matter or who don't have a say because at the end of the day you need to be appealing to this exact demographic. Yeah, and an 18-year-old has just as much say as a 50-year-old does. Exactly. (laughs) But I think the last thing that I wanted to touch on is as for as flawed as I think Taylor Swift is, and she does have her flaws like a lot of people do in the public eye. I am flawless. You? Just letting you know, yeah. (laughs) Should we go there? (laughs) Let's let's get going with this one. Um, I think that she is a great spokeswoman or a poster girl for changing your mind. I know that she originally didn't refer to herself as a feminist. I know that she did a bit of a 180 on that and now refers to herself as a feminist. She, I don't, it's hard to read between the lines in this post. I seem to think before we came on that she had voted Republican in the past. Really? And given, I just think given where she lives in her family and her country music fan base, that perhaps that was the case for sure. I don't really think it matters anyway. I just think to see somebody grow and she has been famous for a very long time and change her mind as she goes is a really important thing for young people to see. And that's human. I don't feel like we should tell celebrities that once they decide where they stand at 18, that's where they stand Mm. for the rest of their life. People grow and evolve and change all the time. Yeah, and we cannot possibly hold that against people. I think it's it's really important that they change their minds in the way that, that Swift seems to be doing it in that it's a very slow process. It seems to be very thought out. She has essentially gone 
underground for a year just performing because I think she wants to grab a lot of that credibility back. And um, I think, yeah, like I said, it's really important for young people to see that you can change your mind and it's really important to hear as many perspectives as you possibly can in order to form your opinions. Good on you, Taylor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty mish. As always, we've got five stories from the rough and tumble of the news cycle. The ones you might have missed. What have you got this week? All right. My very first story. I love this one, actually. Channing Tatum is dating singer Jessie J. It's very new, source says. That is from People magazine. You love this one? Yeah, I do. He only got divorced or announced his separation. It would have been from Jenna Dewan this year. Yeah. Yeah. So he definitely has a type. They, I, I loved the split image that people used for this story. So it was a photo of Tanning Tatum and a photo of Jesse J because obviously there's no photo of them together yet. And it was a photo that made Jesse J look a lot like Jenna Dewan. They're so similar. They are. He likes very dark haired, petite women. Yeah. It was, it was a very funny split pic because I, I sort of had to look twice. I did think it was interesting um, that people are running with this story almost as fact. I think people are, as far as the tabloids go, the more legitimate one. They're like the is- New York Times when it comes to the celebrity <laughs> news cycle, which doesn't compare think, them at all to the New York Times. I was going to say there's going to be so many people having an issue with that comparison. No, no. But I agree in terms of I would believe a people source probably a little more than a TMZ. We're on a different spectrum to... Like, <laughs> I, I understood what you mean. I just thought it was funny putting them in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah, good on Channing. I'm sure millions of women around the world feel a little bit depressed that his type is a very specific type that not many of us I'm fall into. Su- I'm surprised he didn't put a headline in here that I'm sure would have been on the internet somewhere. In fact, I'm gonna. It's gonna be my job to find one today, which was hearts break across the world as Channing Tatum. You know those <laughs> stupid freaking headlines. Grab the tissues. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Love is dead. Yeah. All right. Number two, you look perfect. Groom Jack Brooks Bank welcomes beautiful bride Princess Eugenie as she arrives with Prince Andrew for their Windsor Castle wedding in a low-backed gown, no veil, and a tiara borrowed from the Queen. (sighs) That is from the Daily Mail. Half of that could have been in their lead. Jesus Christ, that is probably the longest headline we've come across yet. Yeah, that went three lines. Did you watch the wedding? I did not. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Did you? No, I was after dinner, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of people in our group were watching the wedding, which no judgment. I know that lots of people love the royal family. And I thought her dress was fine. It looked a bit like a hospital curtain. I wasn't that into it. Sewn together. I loved the tiara, wasn't that into the dress. But that's fine. I think that there is only, just like with royal family, there's only so many um, baby names they can choose from. I get the sense there's only so many wedding dress styles they can choose from and they're not that interesting. Yeah, I feel like both Princess Eugenie and Meghan Markle missed the mark on the dress this year. Just, Sorry. No, I have to agree. I Do you follow Gary Janetti on Instagram? No. Sorry, this seems like a... A weird tangent. Um, Gary Janetti is one of the best Instagram accounts I follow and he takes the piss out of the royal family, but almost specifically Prince George, which seems very harsh <laughs> considering he's about four. But it is so funny. So his coverage of this wedding was very funny. I'm not even going to try to sort of um, vocalize his jokes because I'll just massacre them. But that's a good Instagram account to follow just based on royal things because I'm trying to make this more interesting. <laughs> because as if I care about royal things to begin Trust with. Trust or- me, you will love this. My best dress at this wedding definitely goes to Cara Delevingne. Mine goes to Poppy Delevingne. Oh, what did Poppy Delevingne wear? Oh, see, you gave Cara best dress without looking at them all. Cara Car- wore that amazing tailored suit for anyone who didn't see it. Yeah, I didn't love it. <gasps> I know. I know. It's almost like when a woman puts on a suit, you have to love it. Oh, I do love it. I know. I but can't I'm believe just, you don't. I don't hate it. I just like, I think I like more girly things anyway um, in terms of a fashion style. So Poppy wore this uh, sort of baby blue flowy dress. I'm Googling it right now. Very not specific. Poppy Delevingne dress. I don't know if it's going to be on Instagram or are you Googling? Surely it will be. I, don't, just, oh. I, I hate it when people are No, my... I don't like that. I especially hate the hat. Oh, I love it. What, I... that blue hat. You like that? Yeah. I like it all. Also, I hate it when people on my podcasts talk about something that's on a screen in front of them on when I can't podcast. see them. <laughs> I mean, on the podcast that I listen to. <laughs> we'll put this in the Facebook group, Shameless Celebrity Gossip, for anyone who wants to see it. We'll put a side by side of Kara and Poppy and people can vote on what's better. And I guarantee you I will Because people feel like they need to vote for the pantsuit. 
I feel a responsibility too. We're moving on. Give me another one. Number three, Bond can't be played by a woman, says film's producer. That's from Sydney Morning Herald. Very interesting, this one. I agree. Yeah, so do I, actually. I'm sick of us trying to squeeze women into roles that were created for men. Can't we just create strong, powerful roles for women? I just think, and I think that headline should be different. I think Bond shouldn't be played by a woman is a a better way of phrasing it because it's so unfair on women to try and put someone, let's assume it was Angelina Jolie getting this role, into a role that's been played by men for so many years that you are honestly setting them up for failure. When you've had a role that's been played by the biggest alpha males in the world for the last 50 years society isn't going to be very receptive to seeing Jolie in that role and I actually don't blame them because you cannot possibly squeeze a woman into a man's role it was written for a man by a man why can't we just make them new roles completely agree number four I am not a victim Strictly's Sean Walsh under fire from ex-girlfriend this is from the Irish Times and this would have missed a lot of people or Mm. glided over your radar if you're based in Australia however this was a major celebrity story in the UK do you want to give context yeah and I think the US too So Strictly is kind of the UK's version of our Dancing with the Stars, which we don't have anymore. And Sean Walsh is a comedian over there. He was partnered with a professional dancer and there were paparazzi photos of him kissing his partner, dancing partner, I should say, when he has a very long-term girlfriend. Yes. Additional detail on his girlfriend's birthday. So that's an interesting part of the story. But I think the most interesting part of the story for me was his girlfriend's or now ex-girlfriend's response. And she gave this beautifully eloquent and clever response on Twitter saying, hi, I'm not a victim. By the way, he gaslit me a lot. He used to call me crazy psycho when I used to try and question his relationship with Katia, who was his professional dancing partner. If you have a partner that makes you feel like this, get out, talk to your family, talk to your friends. It's it's not worth it. And I thought it was a really beautiful way of coming forward. It didn't feel trashy like often it can when you've got two warring exes talking about each other publicly. Well, I feel like that's because she didn't go to a tabloid. She did it through her Twitter account or through her social media accounts and therefore didn't seem like she was trying to be an opportunist and be money hungry out of this situation. And even though she was talking about the emotional abusive nature of their relationship, It wasn't nasty or as pointed at him. It was far more making a point for anyone who's in a relationship like this. It's not normal. I was right and my gut feeling was right. And if you've got that gut feeling, the chances are you are right too. It was a really interesting story. I would very much recommend anyone jumping on her Twitter. Her name is Rebecca Humphreys to have a look at that statement because um, it's definitely a lesson in how to address really terrible um, gossip that you are the subject of. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how much their ratings climb when Sean and Katia, who Katia also has a husband, we should include, they both were cheating on their respective partners when they actually returned to this dance floor. I'm tempted to even find this footage on YouTube and I've never heard of the show, so their ratings will skyrocket. Same. All right, my final story. Cult skincare brand Desium to shut following founder's bizarre Instagram meltdown. That's from news.com.au. So Desium create the ordinary. Yes, which we both love the Mm. products from the ordinary. I think this headline and many of the headlines going around about this story are quite dangerous. Do you agree? I agree because to me it feels like the founder of Desium is potentially having a psychotic breakdown. I think he definitely is and I think he has for quite a long time. So for context, the founder of Desium has been very public on social media about the inner workings of the brand. He has said some some pretty... I don't want to say bizarre, but unusual things uh, publicly about what's going on. And a couple of days ago, he announced that the brand would be shutting down because there had been severe criminal activity going on. It is very clear that he is not well. And talking about his bizarre Instagram meltdown is not that helpful. No, it seems like he potentially has a psychotic disorder. So his name is Brandon Truax, for anyone who wasn't aware. He's just been removed from the company board Mm. altogether by a Canadian judge. So the company won't close. However, his meltdown has now been broadcast to millions upon millions of people when it probably didn't need to be. Yeah, it's it's actually very sad. But I know that there are a lot of people interested in about this and it is a very tough thing to talk about because 
I don't think it's anyone, it's very helpful for anyone to have a really long conversation about this until we know what's going on and sort of give him the space and the company, the peace it sort of deserves. Totally agree. I think that's all for the quick and dirty. What a bad collection you've got. Thank you. After the Honey Badgers season of The Bachelor brought new ratings records to Channel 10, Ali Ochin's premiere of The Bachelorette brought records of a more depressing kind. Wednesday night's episode pulled just 631,000 viewers across the capital cities, with another 90,000 of them dropping off for Thursday night's episode. It begs the question, why have so many people turned away from one of the country's most iconic and talked about television programs? This is very interesting because they are very low numbers, aren't they? They are spectacularly low. For example, Georgia Love, comparing the Thursday night episodes, Georgia Love uh, season eclipsed Ellie's by more than 100,000 viewers. And Georgia Love's was considered to be... We were talking about a lot how they can't get people off the street anymore because people aren't going to tune in. Yeah. Georgia Love's season was considered to be a borderline, not failure, but it was far less successful than the seasons that came before and after it. So Ellie's season isn't just struggling. It's almost an abomination in the eyes of Channel 10. But before we do get into Ellie's season, I think that's a really interesting point to be made about Georgia Love's season in that at the time the ratings weren't as high, so people were wondering whether it would be classed as a success. I think the longevity of her relationship with Lee, the brand that she's brought the franchise – and the wholesomeness that yeah, she's brought Channel 10 I think in that, that show. I don't think you can put a price on that. So oh, I think no. that's one of the smartest decisions they've made. Going on to one of the silliest decisions they've made, which we said from the outset, which was putting Ellie Ochin at the front of it. I wonder at what point they realised it mightn't have been the smartest decision. Was it after Bachelor in Paradise when there was a bit of outcry? Was it when they filmed, when they realised it wasn't a very engaging season? Because it had to be at some point because – Otherwise, they wouldn't have put The Bachelor and Bachelorette back to back. But they've always done that. But See, there's always been a gap. No, by... there hasn't. Last year, there wasn't at all. There wasn't even an episode last year. Really? And it was the most successful Bachelorette premiere ever. I reckon, yeah, because it was Sophie Monk. But I think there's a real sense that this year, they were desperate to ride the wave of Nick Cummins into this Bachelorette season, mm. having them put the uh, promo very, very early. I just got the sense that, that they knew they weren't onto a good thing either. I am absolutely convinced that a team of men picked Ellie to be the Bachelorette. And I think that is the worst decision they have made. It just doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, I think what it shows is that Ellie Ochen, which I want everyone listening, please do not think I'm attacking Ellie as a person. God, I think no. she she's, seems lovely she and seems she seems very lovely. Go- she's obviously gorgeous. This isn't an attack on Ali at all. It's more of an observation of who we deem to be the most desirable woman in Australia and what that says about what we value in women. It's true. And this is a character. Let's not um, beat around the bush. This is a character that they put up in front of the entire country and it is so telling the kind of person that they put there. Yeah. that's For that reason, I do not believe that the person who picked Sophie Monk, Georgia Love and Sam Frost to be Bachelorette, I don't think it's the same person who has now picked Ellie to be Bachelorette because Ellie is the antithesis of what we have loved about previous Bachelorettes. The reason we love those three other women is because they're awkward, they're funny, they would swear on camera when they weren't supposed to, they would fall downstairs they would do things that would make them look goofy and relatable and lovable Ali Ochin on the other hand feels like a man's idea of what a woman should look like and what she should act like Ellie is clearly someone on Instagram who wants to put forward this idea of perfection she's constantly talking about her diet and her exercise and her body she has admitted that she has cosmetically enhanced her appearance in more than one way It does not feel like she is the same self-deprecating character that we have seen on other seasons of The Bachelorette. And when I want to sit down and watch my favorite guilty program, my guilty pleasure, I don't want to feel like I'm being spoken to by a woman who's constantly telling me that I'm not perfect enough or I'm in need of transformation. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think you're – I think – 
When it comes to Sophie Monk, Georgia Love and Sam Frost, there are a couple of things about those series that made us like them and I don't think it has anything to do with a thread that binds all three. I think Sophie Monk is curated perfection too and that's what frustrates me about her is because she tries to to do two things at once. She tries to put out this um, image of perfection but also trying to be the ultimate cool girl too. I think we tuned in for that because she was famous. I think um, when it comes to us looking for someone goofy, I think women tuned in for Georgia Love but nobody else did. They thought they needed to appeal to a much wider range of of people, which was what they did with the honey badger. But for me, the only thing it comes down to is a charisma thing. I know that might come across as harsh. You put 99% of people in that role, they wouldn't be very charismatic God, either. I'd be, I, awful I'd be terrible. Yeah. I would be so, so terrible. But for me, I think it just comes down to a charisma thing. Sam Frost had that endearing factor where her heart had just been broken. Georgia Love had a lot of charisma. Sam, Sophie Monk had a lot of charisma. In fact, most almost every single one of the bachelors had a lot of charisma in front of camera. Regardless if you think they're vanilla or not, there was hidden charisma there with Tim Robarts and, and the rest. I think with Ali, it just comes down to that. Really? Yep. I feel like we are tired of seeing people be regurgitated through the different programs as well. So to see her on Tim Robard's season of The Bachelor, then again on Bachelor in Paradise, and now again, it just feels like an ill-thought-out and silly decision from the get-go. I really think a team full of male executives looked at Ellie, saw blonde hair, big boobs, and all these men fawning over her on The Bachelor in Paradise and thought that's what makes a great bachelorette. And they're wrong. That isn't what makes a great, a great bachelorette at all. And this isn't for me to say that plastic surgery is inherently bad, but it is to say that holding a clearly cosmetically enhanced appearance up as the ideal of what makes the ideal Australian woman that every man wants to date and be with That is slightly jarring and slightly problematic. I don't know if I agree with that either, just to be extra annoying, because I think what's the difference between her and Sophie Monk then? Sophie Monk, I don't... Is is very enhanced. You think so? Yes, absolutely. Look at... I mean, I don't want to do the old look at side by side, but we have seen Sophie Monk grow from being very young on Bardo to now, and her face is different, and I don't care about that. But I think if we're going to talk about why Ali isn't being embraced, we have to talk about then why Sophie Monk was embraced, and I don't think it can come down to that. Because while they both look quite similar, I'll give you that, Sophie Monk did have that self-deprecating humour where Ali doesn't have that. Which I think comes down to charisma. Yeah, it comes down to personality. I don't feel like Ellie has that endearing personality that means she can hold up as the bachelorette. She has made her brand entirely around fitness and health and wellness. And that's fine. It's fine for Instagram. The optics of that are great for social media. However, when she is pushing an ebook that promises to transform your figure in eight weeks as the same time that she is pushing herself as The Bachelorette, it is not what Australian women sitting down to watch The Bachelorette with a bowl of ice cream in their lap want to see. I agree with that. I don't think that's what they want to see. But I think you poll the average woman and they wouldn't know that she was pushing an ebook. I don't think they know that. I think they know that she works in a radio station in maybe marketing or something. Um, But I don't think the average woman would know that. I think that I think it's interesting that we've got a woman in this position now who is very open about sort of wanting the white picket fence fantasy, who wants men to fight over her, who wants to be protected. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it is very jarring in this kind of climate to hear an interview which I did on the radio when she was asked about the men physically fighting over her and she said she giggled and she said it's quite nice for people to fight over you I heard that as well and it felt really jarring because I thought oh my god how how can we be in a world where yeah let's sort of glorify men fighting over women I just thought it was very at odds with the climate that we're in Mm. not that there's anything wrong with that but the kind of women that we're trying to celebrate at the moment aren't that Yeah. It will be interesting as the season plays out. I mean, already there's been commentary about how many men she's kissed and the setting in which she's kissed them. Do you have a problem with that? Uh, Look, I think it might come down to a bit of decency that maybe you shouldn't kiss a guy in front of a group of other guys. I'm not super perturbed by it. I think what I will be fascinated to watch is how Australia deals or approaches a woman who's quite sexual. I think she's a lot more sexual than Mm, Bachelorette. And I like seeing that. That's one part of the season that I actually enjoy because it's very different to what we've seen before. She's incredibly sexually expressive. So to see how we receive a woman who behaves like that will be interesting because in the past we have had, we've never had a bachelor or bachelorette who openly kisses someone at a cocktail party. I've watched every season. I've never seen someone do that. So it is 
it does put me a little bit off because I feel like it might be slightly disrespectful to the other people in the house. However, we're on a reality TV yeah. show where you're dating a million people at once. So we can't really be that outraged. About respect. <laughs> About respect. Exactly. I do wonder where, whether there's an inherent sort of level of sexism in why we turn off the bachelorette more than we turn off the bachelor because historically apart from Sophie Monk but I think that's an anomaly in and of itself because it was her our first celebrity bachelorette we don't watch the bachelorette as much as we watch the bachelor and I wonder if we just long to see women fighting for a man more than we long to see men fighting for a woman I definitely think there's a kernel of truth in that i also think that this cheating rumor that just will not go away about grant has really affected yeah. her pr and i i don't think that's necessarily gendered because we would hate a man yeah. who cheated on a woman just as much as a woman who cheats on a man in my opinion i just think that narrative which is played out so publicly in the pages of daily telegraph and daily mail and on kyle and jackie o mostly oh, kyle and jackie o are the ones pushing it more yeah. than anyone i think because grant refuses to go away and because that sordid recount of the staircase refuses to go away, her brand has significantly suffered. And I do believe that it's good for her that she's actually on this program because at least this way she will not be remembered only as being that woman who cheated on Grant on the stairway. Instead, she will be remembered as Ali the Bachelorette. I do not think it's good for Channel 10, however, but it's good for her personal brand. Yeah, there'll be a certain level of purity in how they craft her character this this season for sure. There will be, I think there has to be some either big love story at the end or big heartbreak, but regardless, she'll be painted in the sort of most likable way possible because it's in their best interests too. But I do agree, it's probably the best thing she could have done for Brand, even though it sort of pushes that story out again and again and again and sort of risks the opportunity for Grant to keep coming out and talking about it. At the end of the day, I think she'll have the upper hand and she will overtake all of that by just by virtue of how um, prevalent this the bachelorette is in sort of our public consciousness yeah i guess what will be interesting to see is how many people actually tune in to watch that love story well i'll watch next week because i think they address the cheating scandal yeah, I don't know if I'll just watch the highlights. I think this I is think, the first yeah, season I think of that The might Bachelor. Recap, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the first season of The Bachelor or Bachelorette where I don't feel that pull or that desire to really follow the narrative anymore. And perhaps that is because in Australia we value self-deprecation over everything. And I feel like Ali, it's not Ali's fault that she's not getting ratings. It's probably the audience that she's speaking to. If we were in America, Ali, in my opinion, would be the most successful bachelorette out of the bunch that we've had. It's just that with an Australian audience, she's not connecting in the same way. If she was in America, she'd be an outright success. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. The social set was the headline brandished across Saturday's Good Weekend this week, along with a photo of some of the country's most prolific rich kids. Journalist Andrew Hornery deep-dived into Australia's A-list party set and how brands are flocking to those with cultural clout to speak product over the average influencer. The essence of the piece was simple. Our A-list aren't so elusive anymore, becoming just as well-known for their social media followings as they are for their pedigree. Mish, what did you take from this piece? I took that I am a poor, <laughs> middle-class, peasant, muggle child. I would so recommend anyone read this piece, so this was firstly. In the, what was this in? It was in Good Weekend. It's yeah, it right in-, in front of us right now as we record. I did not know a single name with the exception of Nadia Fairfax mm. and Francesca Packer. I am so basic. I am so removed from this socialite Sydney scene and all of this money that I do not follow any of these people because I do not understand what I would get out of following them. They just feel completely out of reach and unattainable to me. So why do you think it was on the front cover then? Because I'm sure there are many people who find these socialites fascinating. Perhaps I come from too much of a middle-class background. No, I I don't don't think it's that. I mean, I think it's an interesting because I do follow a lot of them on Instagram. And I was thinking about this after I read the piece this morning is why do I follow them when I actually do make a conscious effort to make sure my feed is a positive place for me that I don't feel shit every time I log off. And I was thinking that I don't necessarily, this might sound a bit strange, but I don't necessarily feel inadequate. And we're talking about, for the, for context, um, the Nadia Fairfax 
Axes of Instagram, the Deborah Simmons, whose dad started Simmons Home Loans. We are talking about Montana McDonald, who is a fashion blogger. I follow a lot of these people and I don't feel bad because for me, it feels like a salacious, snobby other life that is nothing more than a spectacle that I don't feel like they are moralizing. And I think the difference between people like this and people who are like fitness influencers or mummy bloggers is there's a certain element of moralizing that goes on there where it's eat this, look like this, you'll be a better person. Whereas here's just people being ridiculous on super yachts. And I don't feel like I necessarily want that. I mean, I'd love it, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's in the realm of possibility of what my life could look like. So I don't feel very shit. Yeah, I get that. I I just feel like they're absolutely dripping in money and arrogance a little bit. Every single post is tagged with designer labels and it's all on yachts and it's all in Capri or Positano. I feel like these people are almost aliens. That's how rich they are. I think that's what it is to me too. That's why I don't feel bad looking at it. And perhaps we haven't said enough. They are the heirs to like hundreds of billions, of, hundreds of millions of dollars, not billions. They wish. Um, some billions. <laughs> I would be, imagine that some would be billions. I think um, for context, another person they spoke about was Nikki Oatley, whose family owns Hamilton Island. Like these, these are people with serious clout in Australian society culture. And it was very interesting that this was um, the front of sort of one of the most respected magazines in the country, which is Good Weekend. I I wondered why we don't have as much issue with these people on interest on Instagram or why these people don't cop as much as sort of the Roxy Jusenkos because these kinds of people, and, and they're predominantly women in this piece, flaunt their money like no tomorrow. Everything will be tagged. Their clothes will cost more than my car and then some. And when we talk about Roxy Jusenko, I think the issue that a lot of people have with Roxy Jusenko is that she flaunts her money and we don't want to see it. Yeah. I think perhaps the people following Nadia Fairfax et al. are all rich people themselves. I honestly believe that. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe you're the... The anomaly. The anomaly I don't there. know if I am. I mean, Nadia Fairfax has nearly 200,000 followers. So I don't think that her following is as much um, rich people following rich people because it's not 200,000 millionaires following her. Yeah. I feel like perhaps the difference between Roxy Jusenko and these people is these people just show their clothes and their yachts mm. and all the money. Whereas Roxy Jusenko, we, she shows her family and then her work and multiple layers on top of that. And some people are still put off by women who work hard. It's almost yeah. seen as a sacrifice. I feel like the hatred towards Roxy Jusenko is it comes from a seed of working mothers more than so it does agree. a rich woman. Yeah, her trying to put on heaps of hats at once and not really in our eyes nailing any of them. Like you can't be all of those things at once in society. I mean, she absolutely can be. Yeah. But it's an idea of who are you shortchanging today? Yeah. Who are you not giving enough of your time or attention to because you're out at this Louis Vuitton launch? Etc. I wonder if it wasn't just sort of an age-old classist thing, new money versus old money, that we don't have an issue with old money flaunting money because that's sort of so ingrained in their personality and it's running through their blood that we don't think they're trying to prove anything, that it's not them trying to make a point, it's just them being who they are. I thought the other thing in this piece that was very interesting that there was a quote from, um, they called her Sydney Charity and Publicity Queen classic. What is that? What does that even mean? <laughs> Rich person. Sky Lecky about how the social scene has become more <sighs> democratic with social media. So historically in Australia, when you've got the upper echelon of uh, Australian society, they are a little more hidden. And she was talking about how social media has made that a more <laughs> democratic process. This feels Anyone's like such welcome. a wank fest. Did you, did you read this? I laughed at this so much. Yeah, I read the entire, no, I know, but the did, entire time I just rolled my eyes yeah, this, how wanky it is. This I rolled my eyes the most because she said, oh, we welcome sort of, it wasn't we welcome everyone, but it's like oh, almost anyone's welcome. And I so... Except black people or anyone of colour. Or... or anyone without money or a social media following. <laughs> but I thought it's actually done the opposite. I think it's made this world far more elusive, far more exclusive, but also in turn more in your face that it, the distinct differences be between us become more obvious because we can see it all the time. 
Yeah. What I did find unfair about this story was the depiction of Nadia Fairfax. Yes. For anyone wondering, she has no connection to the Fairfax media empire. Her- she uh, comes from a family where her dad was a professional rugby player. Yeah. So I we can't say she comes from like the most middle class upbringing. Like, no, she's- she comes from upper middle class. And she was really depicted in this cover story as being a bit of a social climber and a bit hungry for fame. And that's how she's pushed her way into this social circle. That is the sense that I got too. And she was sort of the the main thread. She's, they started with Nadia and ended with Nadia. And I thought it was very interesting exactly how you said you felt quite uncomfortable with the way that she was depicted. Well, yeah, because I feel like out of all the people that the article covered, Nadia Fairfax has exemplified the most artistic and creative talent. Yeah. She has created a blog that is read by hundreds of thousands of people. She has curated a following curated a following that is very loyal to her. She has created a living and breathing product in her blog and in her social media presence. It was very unusual to me that she was plucked out of the group and shown to be the most controversial or the most divisive figure there. Sure, she might be friends with rich people. I don't necessarily think that's fair to depict her as a social climber purely because she's friends with them. I agree. And I thought it was interesting at the very end of that piece, Andrew Hornery said that that Nadia was very nervous to sit down with Good Weekend for this piece. And I thought she's going to be reading this and hating it because it wasn't, it wasn't nasty, the story, but it didn't, it didn't paint her in the most brilliant light. There was another quote that I found very funny. Um, and I think this is why I enjoy this stuff so much because it's just a goddamn spectacle. Nikki Oatley, who I said, whose family um, owns Hamilton Island says, which by the way, I did not know that anyone owned Hamilton well, Island. Well, there you go. I am pretty good at detecting imposters and Nadia is not one of them by any measure. She is a hard worker, smart, switched on and very genuine. What do you mean imposters? Are we talking about imposters in this world that she deserves to be there even though she doesn't come from a family of money? This is why I mean it's so irrelevant to my life that I it's actually cannot, I actually don't even have the energy in my brain to let these people into my social media feed or any aspect of my life because it is beyond ridiculous that you would talk about a friend as a potential imposter yeah. to your elusive, illustrious group of rich people. Yeah, and we can say that they're aliens, but it's just so interesting that it's on the cover of Good Weekend because at some point they are sort of seeding into our everyday life because brands are paying them now to spruik products on, on Instagram. They are not just going. Brands just aren't going to influencers now. They are going to these people because they have such a almost foolproof brand. The other thing is Nadia said about her job that she does feel embarrassed from time to time because she doesn't know what to tell people what she does. It's kind of like when we try to tell people that we have a podcast. <laughs> we talk into microphones. <laughs> What's it about? Um, <laughs> celebrity. <laughs> anyway, she said, people don't see the unglamorous side to this of me sitting up at my computer, jet lagged at 1am trying to write a blog post. That's not what people want to see. I quite like Nadia Fairfax and I follow her, but I, f- I had a couple of issues with this quote because I think it might be slightly out of touch to consider the grit of your job being up at 1am because of jet lag writing a blog post. Because of jet lag, because you've just been traveling yeah, the entire world. Yeah, because you've just been in New York. And the second thing I thought is people expect the image that you curate for them. So she's created this perfect image of this fashion socialite who's happy-go-lucky and fun and creative and that's what people have come to you because that's the image that you've put out. Of course, they're not going to enjoy you seeing the grip behind your job because you've never offered that. So it's going to be really jarring compared to what you've you've given them in the past. So I thought that was pretty unfair to put it on everybody else saying, well, nobody cares about the tough parts of my job. Yeah, it's a bit ironic to be like, how dare you guys not realize how hard I'm working? It's like you intentionally hide that yeah, from us. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And to be honest, when she's sitting up on her laptop at 1am, I would hazard a guess that she's sitting in a penthouse apartment somewhere, <laughs> probably sipping on champagne as she does All it. All I was thinking about, and I know it's not that relevant because we're talking about sort of apples and oranges here, that, that nurses that are working night shifts at 1am sort of um, on crazy schedules, you know, that is unglamorous work, but it is good, important work. And I just felt... Um, I felt a little, my eyes felt a little assaulted when I read that. <laughs> I know that sounds a little dramatic, but it did. Um, I think the last point I wanted to make on this, which is related, but not that related because I keep going on tangents today. 
I went to the milk bar today because this article wasn't online. Yes. It was in the newspaper. I think it'll be online by the time this episode drops so we can um, make sure it's in the show notes. It might be behind a paywall though. It won't be. It's on Fairfax. So oh, good. Um, I bought the newspaper. It cost me $4. It was packed with stuff. The Good Weekend is my favorite magazine. It was only $4. Pay for your news. Yeah. I know that sounds like we're journalists, so we're harping on, but I don't think we've ever actually had this conversation on the podcast. There is so much goodness. I would pay $4 just for that story, let alone that magazine, let alone that newspaper, let alone the domain magazine, which I also write for. So, you know, I've got a vested interest in this. But there is so much good. And I think when it comes to consuming content online, we have this assumption that we should get everything for free. But really interesting stories like this deserve to be paid for. So go and sign up. And the way I see it is we pay pay for a Netflix subscription. We pay for other content. We pay for Spotify and Apple Music and all these other things. Writing is such an important aspect of our culture. And if we are willing to pay for music and TV and movies, we should be willing to pay for really good quality written content as well. It's true. And I know as much as we have laughed at this story and sort of spoken about how ridiculous the world is, there is a purpose for stories like that. And it is to speak to us and to to inform us about the kinds of things that we are really attracted to, to says a lot about how we consume social media and it says a lot about the kinds of uh, the kinds of people that brands are using to sell product. And I think that is very important too. Do you reckon we just sounded like huge self-righteous moralizers then? A little bit. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> hey, that's all we've got time for today. How are you feeling? Are you alive after I'm that? I'm really struggling. I'm going to go and lie down straight after this. Mm. I feel so shocking. But thank you so much for joining us for episode 32. Before we go, we're a little independent podcast. It's just Zara and I here. So if you love Shameless and you want to help our tiny little podcast grow, you can do a few things. The first is click subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That helps new listeners find our show every week. The second thing you can do, and we noticed this a lot last week and it was so great, is put us on your Instagram story. We had so many people put us on our Instagram story. Keep doing that. We love that almost more than anything. Maybe each other. Definitely. Yeah, definitely <laughs> more than each other. Um, so please keep doing that. Or you can come and join our Facebook group. I don't know if we plugged it enough today, but come and join us on Facebook, Shameless Celebrity Gossip. I know we said a couple of weeks ago, it is not just Michelle and I in there. You've got other people you can talk to as well. You've got 2,700 other women to See, be a buffer between it's not awkward. you. It's not awkward anymore. <laughs> you can come and join. So please do either of those things. And that's it. We'll see you guys in the Facebook group or on our Instagram page. Chat next week for episode 33. See you then. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.